0: Welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate the voices across the William & Mary campus. We are very excited today to be joined by Dr. Natoya Haskins, who is an Associate Professor of Counselor Education and the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at the School of Education. Welcome today. Really excited to have you on board. We had a lot of questions about diversity and inclusion and wanting to be involved and wanting to be able to elevate voices. And really landing in the space of how, where do we even begin to do this? So I'm very excited to have you join us on the podcast today. Can you tell us about your work and and what you do uh, here on our campus?
1: Sure. So I am in a new role that began January. And that role specifically is designed to, like you said, elevate the voices around diversity and inclusion, elevate the, the work that we're doing and really encourage us to do more. Um, so my role is designed to support faculty around DE&I, diversity, equity, inclusion efforts. It's also to support students, you know, as well as staff. I am doing a lot right now related to cultivating a community and a shared language around diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as bringing in elements of anti-racism and helping all of us begin to have a better way of communicating um, with one another and and really changing the culture. I had someone earlier today say to me, it was great to get the DE&I weekly newsletter that we started this week. And they said, it's already feeling different. And so we're beginning, you know, it's at the beginning of what we hope will be a, you know, a journey that we all will take together around really putting the face of DE&I on the School of Ed. You know, um, I think most of us in terms of faculty in particular have done research over the years that support underrepresented and marginalized populations, but we haven't done as much work on ourselves and on building community around a lot of these topics and constructs.
0: So what is the current environment surrounding diversity and inclusion on our campus right now, this moment in time?
1: So I can speak from, you know, my experience as a faculty member, I mean, also kind of in this new role, also as a student, I got my PhD here in 2011. And I think at this point, I am seeing, and I've I've said this before, I'm seeing shifts. I'm seeing openness to addressing diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism in a way that I've, I've not seen. I've been on this campus for a total of between being a student and a faculty member eight years. And you know, during some of that time, it was really difficult to have conversations about equity issues. There was really not a lot of openness for that. I'm beginning to see that, that shift. And I think in part because of the president's initiatives and the board of visitors' interest in addressing DE&I and making that a priority having both of them make that a priority, as well as the hiring of deans. You know, we hired three new deans in the last year that really all three of them have a focus on DE and I as some priority to the work they do. And so we're beginning to, I think, change culture, but it takes time. So I am seeing that at the same time, there are some things that are still challenging. And I think, you know, I'd be remiss to say that everything, you know, even though we have some structures in place to create and cultivate change, we're not there yet.
0: What are our biggest challenges right now?
1: I think in particular, I mean, climate, you know, one of the things we continue to see, and I'll speak from the School of Ed, is that our faculty of color, staff of color, and even students of color are continuing to have differential experiences in comparison to their white colleagues. You know, for them, the culture is different. And I can say even for myself, but just thinking about the climate survey that was conducted several years ago, you know, we continue to see that. We continue to see that that is a challenge. Um, and even in, I've done some listening sessions this past week, hearing from faculty and staff, and that refrain is still there. And that's a challenge, you know, that that culture, that difference, you know, between how white faculty and staff experience being here and how faculty of color and staff of color experience it is a pretty stark difference. And that's a challenge. You know, I think it connects to things like recruitment and retention. That's a part of it. I'm sure there's other factors at play as well, but, you know, that influences how people feel about being here. And the better, you know, the better you feel about a place, the more productive you can be The more connections you can build, the more we can do together. And so I feel like that has had a significant impact on, you know, our ability to do this type of work. You know, if people don't feel valued or feel like their voices are maybe silenced or or even maybe they feel like they're tokenized, which are all things that have come up in many of those surveys and and even in the listening sessions.
0: It's so interesting to hear that from the faculty perspective, we have a new wellness professional who's been working with staff and seeing that that connection there too. How, how do we work to change that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a process. My dean keeps saying, you know, this is a three to five year haul. <laughs> and and I, I agree with that. I mean, I know I've done diversity and equity work really for the last 15 years of my career. And I realize that it takes time. And I think we, we begin like we're doing now. You know, some of it is hiring key positions, being intentional about who you hire in key positions. And I think William & Mary is doing that. I do believe to creating a culture, you know, when things happen um, and being responsive, you know, in our communities when um, issues related to race, equity and inclusion are taking place in our community, but also in the country at large, you know, what our response is, says a lot to our students, to our faculty, to our staff. And, you know, we have to be mindful of that, you know? So, and I think President Roa is doing a good job at that, but that's something that is different for people. And I think it takes a while for change to occur, for people to realize that, you know, we are becoming different than we were, you know, we're becoming and i like to use the word becoming because it's an evolving kind of process and it will take time we are going to you know go through a period of and we're probably going through some of that now where i call it disequilibrium but you know where there's some discomfort that's going to happen because when you challenge the status quo and you're doing you know and expecting people to do things different there is some difficulty but i think we continue to kind of push against the status quo encouraging people to do different, be different, holding ourselves accountable for this work for so long. We said, you know, we do diversity and equity work, but nobody was really holding us accountable for that. You know, um, we talked a lot about it. And I can say this from in the school of ed, we talked a lot about it, but there was really no accountability. And I feel like in talking with my peers who are leading the E&I efforts across campus as well, that we are beginning to move towards a place where there will be some accountability for our working in this area, and I feel like that's a, that's got to be a, a place where we begin and continue to change who we are.
2: Dr. Haskins, this is Eric. I'm a I'm an alum of the School of Ed from years ago. I'm so grateful to have you on the program today. I was interested to ask why is the emotional support crucial? for a healthy learning environment among our students of color and our marginalized students?
1: Well, research tells us that the psychological piece plays a significant role in how well people function within either their jobs or even as students. And, you know, we, we often think about the social emotional trauma that many faculty of color, students of color experience, and they have to hold all, all of that while still, you know, doing all of the things that that they have to do. One of the things I, I'm working on and, and I think we as a university are also working on is highlighting that these differential experiences exist and the need for all of us to take account around the social emotional health that comes along with racism and white privilege, the notions of white supremacy in particular that impact the psychological environment. And the more we can unpack that and actually have discussions about those psychological impacts, the more willing people are to actually disclose. Because so many of our our faculty and students of color will share amongst one another or in a very isolated um, community where they feel safe. Um, And I've heard many people say, oh, Our faculty and staff of color are fine. They never say anything. They are having a great experience. Many of us know that that's not the true feeling, but they don't feel like they can express, you know, the psychological harm and the stress that it's causing them and they just have to kind of push through. So the more we know, the more we can provide support in those areas. I mean, for everybody, but in particular, we know that research says that faculty, students, staff of color are holding a larger burden of that stress related to racism.
0: So how can we create that brave space where We have platforms within our departments, our organizations, and our programs to to create a space where we can facilitate and open those conversations.
1: You know, this is a hard question because on one hand, you know, most people think, well, we'll start a group and we'll invite people to come. But it really starts before that. People need to, to know that something's going to happen as a result of them coming and sharing their experience. I continue to hear that we're tired of talking about our experience. We we have our family and friends to support us. If we share our experience on campus, we want something to be done in response to that. So it really goes back to creating a community that embraces equity and inclusion and not just verbally, but in how we engage with one another. I was in a meeting this morning and we talked about you know ensuring that faculty of color students of color have a place at the table and not just a place at the table but their their voice is actually valued in the space and 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 they're not just you know kind of tokenized as checking off a box that we have a person of color here but they're valued their perspectives are valued and that is going to take time and a process we can have supportive spaces but the spaces also begin with just your everyday environment, you know, your everyday environment. And so some of this will come with doing some additional training and support for all faculty and staff around how do you be inclusive and how do you focus your efforts on providing support that is, you know, not tainted by, I mean, and I I think this is, so I'm going to step back and say this. I think we have to also own the notion that white privilege is a part of this culture and there's so many times that people don't want to give up that privilege and there's fear sometimes around that as well which is not often articulated and people don't even know how to articulate it but whenever you're trying something new there's a notion of fear but when you really kind of explore you know where that fear might be coming from Is because anything that's outside of the norm and our norm at William & Mary has been predominantly supported and catered to white norms, white perspectives. And so when you begin to push against that, that can be very uncomfortable. And so people tend to not want to change. And so we have to begin to unpack that, give voice, give language to what might be happening instead of just kind of saying, well, you know, people don't want to change. We have to begin to have conversations around the process and who we, who we were, the role of tradition, the notion of tradition, which, you know, sometimes we utilize that here at William & Mary pretty often. But, you know, the notion of tradition can also serve as a code word for some populations that see that as more as meaning not to include me. So, so those are the types of things, you know, when we think about, well, how do we change? How do we create safe spaces? It really begins by not just having a space where individuals from underrepresented populations can go and share, because I think you can you can do that as well. We know affinity groups do have a positive impact, but it also has to go beyond that for people to feel welcomed fully into the space.
0: That action has to be implemented.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: I'm so glad you're here to have this conversation with us today, because... How can we have a healthy community if we have members of our community who are not feeling completely included? And I'm, I'm very glad that you're sharing this uh, your voice with us today.
2: Dr. Haskins, I've got a question. How do we support our students of color from a, from a perspective of you know, the polyculturalism, the intersectionality, for instance, let's say a queer student of color?
1: Absolutely. I, I feel like this is an area that we are continuing to work on. The notion of intersectionality, you know, is relatively new. A little over 20 years is when that concept emerged. And really, we haven't begun to really see it take root until probably the last 10 years in education, um, higher education, research and literature. But what we do know is that it has a significant impact. The intersection of marginalized identities. And I, I think this is one of the pieces where I, I come back to needing to educate and expand our understandings around the impact of the intersections of identity. Um, we have to change our messaging around, you know, when we think students of color, individuals of color, there are, we're not all the same. You know, we all have had different life experiences and you have some intersections that have had significantly more challenging experiences than others. And like you said, in particular, queer students of color, you know, they're more likely to attempt suicide. They're more likely to experience depression and anxiety in comparison to their students of color that identify as straight. And so we know that there are some challenges that while I think our counseling program here has done some really great work and continue to support our students and staff and faculty, there's still so much that we need to share around just educating one another around what the needs are and that we are not just a monolith. You know, you say students of color and people think we're everybody's the same. or faculty of color or staff of color, but that we all are coming with our different life experiences as well as different identities that have maybe Challenged us and marginalized us in some ways more than others. So I absolutely agree that that's an area that that we need to do more on. And I would start with education.
2: And I I can't help but think of you over there at School of Education. So my next question or request of you would be, and I know that you're in counselor education, but what homework assignment could you give us and our listeners? What what is something that we could be doing in the you know over the course of the next week, even just to uh, to start moving things forward?
1: I would start and this is what I start with my students as well is self reflection. That's the first step in any of this. You know, before you go out running to, you know, join an organization or, you know, start a group or whatever what have you to do some some real self reflection. You know, what are your values? What are your beliefs? What are you where do you stand on some of these major issues, social issues that have, you know, that are emerging, that are taking front stage, you know, in our society and really thinking about your past experiences and how those have shaped who you are and what are the areas that you feel like you need to to learn more about about yourself and then be honest. I mean, that's the one thing that sometimes. I think that's part of why we don't always move the needle when it comes to DE and I work is because we're not honest enough with ourselves that we're not doing as much as we think we're doing. You know, one of the things that I'm beginning to have conversations about is how do we move from this place of being allies to actually being accomplices? And where we're standing alongside, willing to take whatever the flack is, willing to to be there in the hard spaces, not just to to root on from the sidelines, but to actually be in in those difficult places. But in order to get there, you know, it really takes some some self-ownership and some reflection on on really where you are in in your own kind of development around these issues.
2: That was a wonderful way to end this section. That was fantastic. And you're making me self-reflect on the past 20 minutes. Uh, Wonderful points. I'm so, so happy that we have you on our staff at the School of Education here at William & Mary. And we just wanted to say thank you again for joining us
1: today. Thank you for the opportunity. I was glad to be here. Thanks, Dr. Haskins.
0: And you had mentioned your newsletter. Is there an easy way for us to access or to get linked
1: in with that? Right. So the first one came out yesterday. We will house them on our SOE website under the diversity tab. So you can go on and view them. So every week we'll just add to that listing. Great. Well,
0: thank you so much for being here with us today.
2: Definitely. Thank you again.
1: Great. Thank you.
2: Thank you to our sponsor, United Healthcare, for the support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Colin Cross, Lindsay Heck, Brittany Emmons, and Eric Garrison.